Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Katsi. Well, good morning, everyone. So today, in our message, I would like to ask a question to begin with. And the question I would like to ask is, what does it mean to be a Christian in difficult times? It's an important question that Paul asked, and in fact, God inspired Paul to answer that as he wrote to the Philippians. Now, writing about what it means to be a believer, as Paul was writing from prison to a church that was facing great difficulties, he encouraged them to be courageous, to be fearless. He reminded them, in order to be courageous and fearless, and by the way, the very fact that sometimes Scripture says, be of good courage, be strong and of a good courage, or be courageous, be fearless, that means that there are things to fear around us. That means there is a reason for that encouragement to not be afraid. And usually, you know, that wouldn't, in fact, it would not make sense if, if it was not something in front of us, in front of our eyes, that we could be afraid of. But he reminded them of the character traits of Jesus Christ. He reminded them of how Jesus Christ faced his challenges his trials, for our sake. And he pointed out some of the members of the Philippian church as great examples. And you know what? We have some of our brothers and sisters right now in this crisis who are absolutely fabulous examples, who are giving of their time, the giving of their service for those who are in need. And he reminded the Philippians also that we are all citizens of heaven. And so, as citizens of heaven, we need to keep our eyes on the things above, on the things of God, and not on the things of this world, on the things of this flesh. His instructions are just as precious today for us as they were back then for the Philippians. But I would like to read the words of the Apostle Paul, our text for today, which is from Philippians chapter 4 and verses 4 to 8, which states the following. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, these are words that we've heard so many times. But let's understand them, and let's understand them correctly in such a way that they will be of great help for us today as they were for the Philippians back in those days. Now, you notice that in this particular section of his letter to the Philippians, Paul starts with a statement that may be a bit shocking. He says, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. (laughs) And why? Why rejoicing? Why would Paul stress rejoicing so much? Why would he put so much emphasis on rejoicing when he himself is in chains in prison and the Philippians are facing serious trials? Well, as I look at that, the thought occurs to me, and probably to you too, that, you know, when life is hard, when trials face us, it is impossible for us to be happy. And I, and I would agree with you. It is impossible for us to be happy, and particularly because happiness depends on the circumstances of the moment. But when Paul talks about rejoicing, he's not talking about being happy. He's talking about something deeper, something more profound, something more important. He's talking about a joy that has a basis, a foundation, and that foundation is a def- is, it rests in the fact that we are in the Lord. Even in our grief, we can experience that joy that we have in the Lord. Not in the circumstances. In the circumstances of the moment, we experience grief. But in the Lord, we can still experience that joy. Once again, look at Paul's example. In prison, and yet he could still rejoice in the Lord. So our inner state, basically that's what Paul is telling us, that our inner condition, our inner heart, our mind does not have to reflect the circumstances that are around us. And of course, he's not talking about inappropriate behaviors. He's not talking about being joyful that someone died. No, there is grief that we experience. And then, as we said last time also, there is a time to laugh and as a time to cry. But within our hearts, that joy, the joy of the Lord, can be present even despite the circumstances that are around us. Paul knew that whatever happened to him, and there is a lot that could have happened to him at that moment, whatever happened to him, Paul knew that he would be secure in Christ. And you and I know the same. He knew that the Lord will never leave him or abandon him. And that's a promise that is for us as well. But Paul continues and says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Now that is a gentleness, that concept of gentleness is a translation of a Greek word that is not easy to translate in English because we don't have an equivalent word in our language. The concept of that word is a concept of moderation, is a concept of being reasonable, fair-minded, charitable as we approach the circumstances of life. It's so easy when things go wrong, to be a bit grumpy. We all, we all know that. We all experience it. We all see it. It's easy when we are in pain to be snappy with the people around us. I, I've seen people that I know very well. I know their hearts are good, 
But when they are hurting, man, they can become pretty hard to deal with. They are snappy, they are short, and sometimes they come across a bit mean. And unless we know that that is because they are hurting, we could judge their character probably in the wrong way as well. And that's common to every single one of us. And so Paul here, by calling us to be moderated, moderate, to, to be reasonable, to be fair-minded, to be charitable in our difficulties with everyone around us, it addresses us in both, on both sides of the equation. When we're hurting, we need to remember that we need patience and long-suffering. But also when we're dealing with someone else who is hurting, we need the same patience, the same long-suffering. And we need a spirit that doesn't retaliate. We need a spirit that doesn't pay tit for tat, a spirit that doesn't give back what we have received. You know, my wife may be a little snappy with me today because she's hurting. But if I understand that that's not her intention, if I understand that she's just hurting, and perhaps that's a way in which in that moment she experiences or expresses that pain, I would be able to be much more patient with her and much more understanding. And I don't have to answer back in the same way. I don't have to give her back the same tone or, or yell back at her and say, how dare you to talk to me that way? That would be very inappropriate and very unchristian. The way we respond, Paul is bringing up in here, the way we respond in our trials, in our difficulties, is visible to everyone around us. The joy that we have inside in our hearts may not be visible, but the way we respond to our trials will set an image, an image of Christ. It will say a lot about the presence of Christ in us. If we respond in harshness, it will not give a good impression. But if we respond in the gentleness of the Holy Spirit, it will manifest the presence of God in us, the presence of the Lord in us, and will bring praise and honor and glory to Him. Paul then said something that many people find difficult. He said, be anxious for nothing. Let's think about that for a moment. This is, first of all, let's qualify that statement. That does not mean that we are called to be irresponsible or careless. It's not a call to atuna matata or anything like that. It's not a call to, to not care about anything and just go blissfully about life without any concern at all. No, we are actually called to be caring for one another, to be concerned for one another, but not to worry. Because worry wastes a great deal of time and energy. We are to care for one another, and we are to be concerned, but while we do that, we also need to trust the fact that our lives are in God's hands. And that's the best place for them to be. That we all depend on Him. And that is good, because we can count on Him. We can truly depend on Him. So, being anxious for nothing is not a call to set aside our responsibilities either. It is a call to face our responsibility with an attitude of trust. To face our trials and challenges with an attitude that is completely dependent on God. And knowing that in Him we are completely okay. Then the Apostle Paul calls for prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You see, worry takes a great deal of time. 
Worry takes a great deal of time. And wouldn't that be so much better? Instead of just sitting there taking the time to worry, wouldn't that be so much better to take that time in prayer? So Paul tells us to, to be involved in prayer, in supplication, in thanksgiving. Prayer indicates a worshipful conversation with God. It's such a beautiful thing, and it's such an amazing privilege that we have to be able to have that access directly to God. Do we realize what that means? It means that we have a direct connection with the one who rules the whole universe. Now, if in a moment of need you had a direct connection with the governor or with the president or with some king or with someone in influence that could meet your need in some way, you would be very privileged. But do we realize that in prayer we have a connection with the one who rules and sustains the whole universe? Supplication. It means that we bring to God our, our needs, our specific needs, and we can count on him. It's not a Santa's list, God, I want this, I want that, I want this and that. But it is an opening of a heart that shares with God the fact that we need him desperately, that we are totally dependent on him. Thanksgiving is an acknowledgement, acknowledgement of God's grace. It's an acknowledgement of God's benevolence. It is an acknowledgement of how amazing it is for us to have that connection, that contact directly with God that we can be thankful for, as well as gratitude for the little and not so little blessings of everyday life. Now think about the energy that goes into worrying. A great deal of energy in, in being in the grips of anxiety, in the grip of energy. Wouldn't that also add that energy be better used in prayer, thanksgiving, but also serving one another. Of course, according to the guidelines that we have clearly received. So we can take that time, we can take that energy and put it to good use to, to figure out maybe, maybe there is someone that needs a phone call. Maybe there is someone that needs a little bit of groceries. And by the way, we, we've had people in our congregation maintaining the separations, maintaining and obeying the guidelines given, they were able to share a great deal of groceries with families who had limited or no food. And that's been a blessing. But those are things that can still be done, but it can be done in the right way. And it's so much better to, to serve one another. It's so much better to help one another than it is to just sit there worrying in anxiety. Paul continues, and it actually gives us a, a statement, a promise, that the peace of God will guard our hearts in Christ. This is not just any peace, by the way. This is not a peace that you and I can work up. It's not a peace that we can find behind a weapon or behind some fence or, or other things that we have made and we have constructed. This is a peace that comes directly from the Lord, the peace of God. Our hearts may be troubled. Yes, and even in our troubles, we can experience that peace. In fact, Paul admitted that this is a peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. We can talk about it, but it's hard, it's difficult for us to understand it unless we actually experience it. But that is something that we can do. We can experience that, but we can experience it in Christ. 
It is a real peace that we have in him. And it's based on trust. On trust that the Lord has and will continue to take care of us. In Christ, in other words, all will be well. It is based on the things above, on the things of God, not on the, on the trials that we face, or even the evidence of things here in this world or in our flesh. It is based on something greater. And Paul here says that that peace will be what guards our hearts. And in saying that, in saying that that peace will guard our emotions and our thoughts, he uses a military term, the same term that would be used for guarding a garrison that gives us true protection and true security in Christ rather than in our own hands. He continues then with a statement about several things, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is of good repute, etc. And that is often taken out of context. We often read that passage in Philippians 4, 8 out of context because we read it in, in times when everything is okay. And when everything is okay, it's easy to think in that way. And some people take it as positive thinking. So it's easy to have positive thinking when everything goes well. But this was not written in times when everything goes smooth. This is written by an apostle of God who was in chains, in prison, to a congregation, to a church that was facing severe trials. And so we need to take it in context because as we read it in that context, it acquires a much deeper and much more meaningful message. It gives us a message and it acquires a much greater meaning. So he says, whatever is true. So notice that here is not talking about positive thinking. He's talking rather about truth thinking. All the positive thinking we can come up with will not change the challenges and the trials that we face. But we are not asked to fool ourselves. We are not asked to imagine ourselves away or somewhere else away from those trials. No, we are in those trials. We are in that situation. We are not told to fool ourselves, but we are told to be truthful. Worry. Worry tends to be irrational. Anxiety tends to be irrational. We tend to think about the what-if scenarios, and what-if scenarios are almost virtually infinite. There's no limit to the variation of what could be. But it doesn't reflect what is. And so Paul here is telling us, don't be anxious, but be truthful. Look at the facts. Look at the truth. Think in a way that is rational. Abandon wild speculations. Don't listen to false or biased reports. Look at the facts. Stay with what is true, especially with the truth of God. He goes on to say, whatever is honorable, and that's a big word, whatever is dignified and worthy of respect. You know, our thoughts should not be guarded or guided by greed. Our thoughts should approach the challenges that we face with dignity, with a sober mind. We are to respond with soundness of mind, in faith, manifesting, expressing the love that God has poured in our hearts in a way that is honorable. But he continues to say, whatever is right and pure, 
what conforms to God's character and standards according to that truth, as we said earlier. That's what we should think about. What is wholesome and not impure or unclean? And it means free from any form of contamination. It means a truth that is not mixed or em embellished by some form of lies. It means purity in thoughts, purity in our words, purity in our actions. And that is what our thoughts should concentrate on. Whatever is of good repute. Here we talk to think about what is positive and constructive, but not just in the typical positive thinking, but in truth thinking. We are told to concentrate on the constructive and not on the destructive. And we can do so in Christ, because in Christ we have good news, and good news indeed. What we should think about would be things that are admirable, that can be commended, thoughts that would meet approval and praise. Imagine this for a second. What would others think, the people around you, what would they think if they could hear your thoughts? Would they praise your thoughts? Would they admire your thoughts? Would they commend your thoughts? Would they approve of them? If so, then you're thinking in the right direction. Now Paul continues as he writes to the Philippians and says, any, If any excellence or anything worthy of praise... And he's talking about here moral excellence. Not compromise, not mediocrity, but excellence. And, and it reminds me of back in my early days in college when we were introduced to computers. And back then we, we had big computers. And, and there was this saying that was going around all the time. And it's from time to time we still hear it today. And it was J-I-J-O. Junk in, junk out. You program computers with junk, and junk is what you get out of them. And Proverbs basically tells us to be aware of that in our own hearts, in our own minds. It tells us to nurture our hearts, and not to put junk in, because then we'll get some junk out. But to fill our hearts and fill our minds with what is good, with what is excellent, with what is worthy of praise. What would God praise? Think about that. Because while people around you may not be able to, to hear your thoughts or to see what you're thinking about doing, God does. What would God praise? You see, here we are called to surrender our minds to Christ. That's the only way we can find that excellence and that way of thinking that is worthy of praise. And then Paul says, dwell on these things. It's talking about dwelling, not just passing by. You see, our worrisome thinking tends to capture our minds and tends to become intrusive in our thinking. It tends to enslave us to a negative what-if type scenario, or many scenarios. And it will tend to take over and stay. What is excellent and worthy of praise in those moments may just be 
a passing and fleeting thought. But the opposite should be. We should be able, and we are able in Christ, to say to those worrisome thoughts, wait a minute, this thought is irrational, and I will not dwell in it, I will let it pass. But that thought, that thought is truth. That thought is honorable. That thought is of good repute, and I will dwell on that. And we can do that in Christ. You see, it is really easy to read these words, especially if you're rushing because you're doing your monthly Bible reading and, and you need to read several chapters to catch up. But I suggest you, you slow down. I suggest we all slow down. And because we are called not to just read these words, we're called to practice them, to live them, to make them part of who we are. I remember some time back, a group of people who were talking about sports. And it sounded like they were all experts in that sport. It sounded like they must have practiced it for a very long time, and they knew everything in and out of what that sport is all about and how to do it and how not to do it. But then I found out that none of them had ever practiced it. It's almost like sitting on the armchair at home and talking about a marathon versus being out there on the track running that marathon. And that's what we're called to do. Brothers and sisters, we're not called here to be spectators. We're called to be doers. We're not called to just listen. We're called to practice. We're called not to just criticize this or that thing that we hear. We're called to practice the Word of God, to make it alive in us, to manifest it, to run the race, not just watch. And the promise? I'd like to read it to you again. And the grace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that what everybody seems to be craving, especially in these times? That peace. And we can experience that peace too. We can find that peace even in the midst of great trials. Paul did. Because he wrote these words from prison, while in chains. The Philippians did, even as they faced persecution. And so can we. We can find that peace today as well. Because that peace does not depend on the circumstances. That peace does not come from what you and I may do or may be able to do. That peace comes from the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. We may not be able to explain it. We may not even be able to understand it fully. But like we said earlier, we can experience it. And we are called to experience it. And the only way to do so, however, is in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And it is my sincere hope that we will all reconnect with Him, enhance, renew, refresh our communion with Him, our fellowship with Him, so that we can all truly enjoy that peace. His peace in us when everything goes well, and when everything does not go well, in our trials, in our difficulties. Let us close in prayer. Would you join me, please? Lord, thank you so much for hearing us. 
Thank you for being with us even in our trials. Thank you for never ever leaving us and never abandoning us. Lord, we please, we ask you that you will grant all of us your divine comfort and your peace. That you will grant us to comfort our brethren with your comfort. With the comfort with which you comfort us, give us the ability to pass it on and to comfort others around us, to encourage others around us while still being careful and being aware of their needs even if their need is isolation and quarantine. In this time of confusion, Lord, please give us clarity. The clarity that comes from your truth, the clarity that comes from you. We thank you for the privilege of being your instruments of peace. We thank you for the amazing privilege of being your instruments of grace, especially toward those who are hurting and suffering the most. Please, Lord, bless your church. Be with our brothers and sisters around the world. Give us all strength. Your strength. The strength that comes and flows from your love, which is a giving of ourselves for the benefit of others in Christ. And Lord, may your kingdom come and may your perfect will be done even now on earth as it is done in heaven. We commit ourselves to you, and we praise you, and thank you for your amazing love. And we do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but you desire His forgiveness and grace, and would like to have a new, meaningful life, rich with purpose, well, now is the time to make a decision. You may wonder what you should do. The answer is quite simple. You receive Jesus when you believe in Him and trust in Him and Him alone to save you. You see, He has given His life for you, taking your sins upon Himself on the cross. And He did that to save you and give you a new life to spend with Him in His glory for all eternity. First of all, acknowledge your sins and your need for the Savior. Repent. Be willing to change and turn away from your sins. Start listening to God and do what He says instead of seeking your own ways. As you are repentant, then believe that Jesus died for you, and after three days, he rose from the dead. Then ask Jesus to live in you in the person of the Holy Spirit, and to be the Lord of your life. Next, if you really mean it with all your heart, talk to God, and tell him about your repentance. Tell him that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, and ask him for his forgiveness. You don't need to talk to him with special words, just open your heart to him. Talk to him as if you were talking to someone that you know and see right in front of you. If you need some help, then pray with me, but pray with all your heart sincerely as if these words were your own. Dear God in heaven, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I have followed my own selfish ways and I have grieved you. I have done what is wrong, and I have sinned against you. I need your forgiveness. Father, I thank you for the fact that Jesus has given his divine life for me. That he cares so much for me that he took upon himself the pain and the death that I deserve for my sins. 
I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and His sacrifice as payment for my sins. I ask you, Lord, to rule my life and to guide me so that I may live in a way that pleases you. I invite you, Lord, to come into my heart. I want to trust you and follow you from now on as my Lord and Savior. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, my friend, find a Christ-centered and a Bible-believing church and join the body of Christ where the Lord Jesus will guide you and lead you in your new life. God bless you and yours. Thank you.